Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 97 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm here with co-host uh, Pete Wall and myself, Paul Anderson. Uh, producer Jack is definitely in bed by now. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't be with us because he's not allowed to stay up this late. Pete, how are you? Yeah, w- welcome to uh, the latest instalment in our hilarious riff, Jack is Younger Than We Are, uh, which we just <laughs> won't let lie. But yeah, it's good to be back behind the mic, man. Uh, it's good to be talking to you and actually seeing your face as well, although we are separated by some distance. Um, this week on the show, as we always do, we take a virtual trip through the cinema. We start off in the foyer where we have some chit-chat about movie news. Then we get onto our section called Popcorn Movies. This is like little reviews of stuff we've seen recently. We then get to previewing some stuff that hasn't come out yet in coming attractions. Then the big meat of the show, or um, corn substitute for meat, which would be my serving, uh, we get into <laughs> feature reviews. This week we've got Incredibles 2 and we've got Ro- The Rock. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson saving the world yet again in Skyscraper. And finally, we've got an end section that we call End Credits, where we give credit to something that we think is is really right good. Um, Paul Anderson, what has been across your path this week? What do you want to talk about in terms of In the Foyer, which is our opening section? Well, the first thing I want to talk about In the Foyer is the fact that Scarlett Johansson has bowed to, uh, I think, probably deserved pressure to bow out of uh, starring as a transgender lead in the film Rub and Tug, which is not a story I know a, a lot about. But I, as much as I know that the, the, the lead character is transgender, Scarlett Hansen initially uh, gave quite a flippant response to the, the social media pressure to bow out. She referred them to a number of male actors who've played transgender roles and has decided to bow out. Yeah, uh, of this, which is quite interesting to be fair, because she has took she took a lot of pressure, I think, on Ghost in the Shell, and I think we were talking about another film earlier where she took some pressure. Like she's 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 uh, she's not cut not kowtowed to social media pressure before, but has done this time round. So I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, bit. although she did have that whole thing with uh, Soda Stream, which blew up in her face. The Soda Stream thing is the thing we that's the thing I was just trying to think. Yeah, so yeah. it's rare for her to kowtow to to social media pressure, but she has done this time round. Yeah, so the the film you mentioned, Paul um, Rub and Tug, this is a true story of a, a person called Tex Gill a larger-than-life character who, while transitioning from female to male, took on the mob and became the crime kingpin of 1970s uh, Pittsburgh through his slash her slash their empire of illicit massage parlours and anabolic steroid ring. I mean, there's a lot here. There's a lot to be interested in. But yeah, the the big talking point, as you mentioned, has been this Scarlett Johansson sort of in-out hokey-cokey thing um, in terms of casting and then uncasting and reversing the casting decision. And I suppose, um, not unlike yourself, Paul, I think that she's probably made the right choice, yes? I think she has. And uh, I said I was I had a conversation about this with with uh, my wife and and a friend of mine earlier today in fact is the fact that actually if you want to put transgender issues front and center i kind of understand where they've gone we'll put a major actor in front of it that's fine i kind of get the, the good intention behind that but surely cast a transgender actor and then surround them by an a-list with an a-list cast and then see where it goes i think that would be the way to do this right and in this case they haven't done it I would hope we have a similar situation like, and we talked about Ed Screen last week and we're quite uncomplimentary about him being basically a poor man's Nicholas Holt. But what Ed Screen did recently was the fact that he he accepted a role in the new Neil Marshall Hellboy film. Uh, and then there was a Twitter campaign going, you're whitewashing uh, a role I believe to be Korean. I might be wrong. I think the role is Korean. Apologies if I'm wrong there. And, and he bowed out and they've now cast, I believe, a Korean actor to take his role. So he's done the right thing there because he wasn't aware he's been whitewashed. It was, but so I think the way they could do it is by all means put a major Hollywood star in this film, put lots of major Hollywood stars in this film, but then have an unknown transgender lead in the film. I think that's the way you should approach it. Pete, agree, yeah. disagree? Where, where do you think? Where do yeah, you think I mean, on this one? it's worth pointing out at this juncture, I think, Paul, that Rupert Sanders, the director of uh, the, this upcoming film, Rub and Tug, was also the director of Ghost in the Shell, where, as yes. you as you point out, <laughs> um, Scarlett Johansson did take a bit of flack in terms of the fact that, you know, it's Japanese source material, which was turned into something sort of largely, completely un-Japanese. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think... 
it it's yet to be seen whether the film is sort of worth all of this hubbub but i think the wider point stands which is that let's look for opportunities for representation where they exist and obviously it's sort of you know chicken and egg to a certain extent because yeah. you could argue that you need an actor of caliber to fill such a role and is yes. there a transgender actor who can take that role at present at the same time if we don't give those roles to minorities how then, do we know yeah, yeah firstly how do you know and secondly how are those actors going to get the opportunities that they can use as a platform to improve both their skills and stature within the industry so yeah we'll, we'll wait to see what happens with this one but certainly it's been an interesting talking point and I think Scarlett Johansson has probably just about protected her image by getting out when she did and sort of ripcording this whole thing before it uh, came in her face. Let's move on, Paul. Um, <laughs> what what else do you want to talk about this week in this section? What else do I want to talk about this week? Um, there is the news, Pete, that I think you shared with me about the fact there's been a lost Kubrick script Oh, I don't think that was me. I think that might have been social media's uh, James Ewan. That might be social media's James Ewan. There's a lost Kubrick script that has been found. Do we know any more about this than what James Ewan has shared on social media? Or has he just caught caught a short on the the, book? No, social media's James Ewan. Fine work. uh, Props and shouts and stuff to James. Throwing this out to our public, and it seems like people's general reaction to it is, well, it'll be made into something like a pale imitation of what it could have been if Kubrick had directed. Now, you know, that is a point. And that is a fairly logical and defensible point to make. At the same time, Stanley Kubrick cannot make the film. So would you not be happier to see a lost script made into something rather than becoming nothing? Okay, then. Fine. Then who? 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 Name me a director. I don't know. If I was an an absolute bellend right now, Paul, I'd say something like Chris Nolan. But I am not, so I won't. Um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is the $64,000 question or what that, you know, amount of money is with inflation. If you had to pick one, if you had to pick one director that you think could mm. could half do it justice, what do you, even half, is it only going to be half do it justice? Because there is, you know, Kubrick is a deservedly a legend. Well, but, well, Paul, I mean, what are the characteristics of Stanley Kubrick, famously? They are attention to detail, uh, an almost infuriating level of attention to detail, and not accepting anything unless it was absolutely just so and, and as it should be. Or contains a dead wife and a tan suit. It's definitely Christopher Nolan. <laughs> it, no, no. To me, Paul, I think we can, we can assume that the new uh, Stanley Kubrick adaptation is going to be directed by Wes Anderson. Oh, okay. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm gonna sit. There, I'm gonna throw it down and go. I'm still not. I'm still not over my Blade Runner twenty forty nine crush. I'm gonna sit there and go. If you're gonna give it to one bankable director, which they're gonna to have to give it to a bank. If they're gonna remake it, they have to give it to a bankable director. It's got to be Denny Villeneuve. It's got to be Denny Villeneuve. That man can Everything's do no wrong. Everything's going to Denny Villeneuve. Every, Denny Villeneuve just sat there in, in his high-backed yeah. armchair, just yeah. just taking scripts just, from every just direction. Taking, just taking texts from me, going, "Please make this. Please make this. Please remake this. Please remake this." Like, I'd happy if he remade Interstellar. I'd be happy. <laughs> I bet you would. Um, to, to round off this section, man, um, I want to do a little bit of squawking about the fact that Margot Robbie has revealed that her project, uh, Birds of Prey, is taking flight. This is um, the Harley Quinn character with a sort of female gang of comic book bird-related superheroes, I believe, because the, at this point is sketchy and I'm not a big enough nerd to know all the backstory and original comics and stuff like that, all right? I could pretend that I know, but I, but I really don't. Um, one thing to note about this, apart from, of course, Margot Robbie's involvement and her sort of rise and rise into, well, status in the industry, for want of a better word, is the involvement of Mia Sara, who, of course, um, was the, the love interest in Ferris Bueller's Day Off all those years ago. So um, that struck me for, from this announcement. Feelings, Paul? Do you care about this piece of news? Uh, no. Suicide Squad was diabolical. Uh, I don't also I rate Margot Robbie as an actress I don't I didn't particularly controversial as this may be I didn't particularly rate her performance as Harley Quinn I thought her accent was all over the shop she looked the part I'll give her that much I don't think she was great in this and maybe maybe it's the director maybe it's the material and I do quote it as an actress having seen I Tonya I thought she was very good in that I think I think I'm I'm warming to it as I as I say what I say now. I think yeah, let's give it a chance. I, yeah, I, I mean think from let's... what from what we've seen of from what we've seen of uh, Suicide Squad 
Uh, no, I'm I'm just I just can't be asked with the DCU anymore. Uh, but if she's keen and she's if, if she's the driving force behind the project, I think she may realise some of the fl- the flaws. She seems bright enough to realise some of the flaws of Suicide Squad. And hopefully, if it's driven a lot by her and she works with a good director, maybe something good could come of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it was of course um, sort of the 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 faint ghost of David Ayer who directed Suicide Squad, right? Well, it was it was definitely the guys that. Directed, no, David Ayer apparently directed Suicide Squad. It was definitely directed by the guys that just made the trailers in the studio. Yeah, I've got no, well, yeah, no that, doubt that's he kind was of why just ripped I, off of it. I get, I get where you're coming from. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it seemed to me to be directed by sort of late yeah. '90s MTV yeah, totally, jobber yeah. directors yeah. or something. But yeah, yeah um, just to say that this movie, Birds of Prey, will be directed by some like badass looking Asian lady called Kathy Yan. I don't know a lot about Kathy Yan, but she looks cool and she's not <laughs> the directors of the original Suicide Squad. So, yeah. you know, uh, all, all good news all round on that front. Um, I guess that takes us to the end of this section, Paul. We, though, will be back in just a moment with a section that we like to call Popcorn Movies. And back we are with popcorn movies. So uh, I'm going to go first, Pete. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm just going. I'm just going to step straight in, and I'm going to uh, come straight in with a film that I briefly mentioned last week as a coming attraction, which is um, the horribly, horribly uh, English translation title uh, for a film that should have just been called The Faithful, which is what it was called in France, uh, or, or Racer and the Jailbird, which stars uh, Matthias Schoenhart. And that lady who I can't pronounce her name at all from Blue is the Warmest Colour. Uh, I'm going to go with that. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. To be fair, um, and yeah, this this is directed by uh, the man that directed a film called Bullhead, which we talked about last week, which I haven't actually seen. Um, uh, Michael R. Roxham uh, is the guy that directed this, and I have to say, I. Well, we talked about this last week. You were like, well, I wish you the best of luck because his Metacritic rating is this. And you said mm. to me, I kind of hope you come back on the podcast and are in the mood to defend it. And do you know what? I'm in the mood to defend it, Pete. I have to say, I really am in the mood to defend it. Like, I get the criticism. I understand that. And I'm not going to spoil this. I'm going to desperately try not to spoil this. I get the criticism that a lot of the narrative there are later on in the film. So just, just to set up the film... Briefly. Yes, I will try and set up the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Responding to something that isn't on the no, show. Absolutely. No, I, I will set up the film. So to set up the film, you have Matthias Schoenhartz, who is um, who is a bank robber, um, a very well-established bank robber, who meets uh, who meets I'm gonna try her I've gotta try her name now. I've gotta try her name to give it to give it to give it something. Who meets uh, Adele Xaropolis's character who is a who is a, I would say a society girl, but also a racing driver. So uh, Matthias Schoenhardt's character meets Adele Alexander's character. She's a race driver. She's from a very well-to-do background. He meets her. He charms her. They fall in love. They start dating. She doesn't know what he does, but she's aware that he is keeping some secrets from her. He then ends up, and this is fairly early doors. He ends ends up with his crew robbing a bank uh, that relates to her father. Um, which so that, that kind of that kind of sets it up. So it's kind of like the wrong side of the tracks, kind of Romeo and Juliet kind of set up. She they end up getting married. She has no idea of what he does, but is aware that he's keeping secrets, and, and it goes on from there. And I won't say any more about the plot than that because you kind of need to 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 see it to embrace it or not embrace it, as a lot of people have done. Now, so where are people going wrong? Because it seems like so. Well, well, no, well, no. For me, for me, I don't necessarily think people are going wrong. But there are narrative beats in this that take massive left turns and massive left turns that to a lot of people will go, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why have you done that? I don't really get why you've done that. But for me, I would 100% prefer to see a film that takes risks and then misses the mark than a film that doesn't take risks at all. Mm. So it takes risks. Yes, arguably it misses the mark and it does drift firmly into like completely OTT melodrama towards the end. And yes, it doesn't all work. A hundred percent it doesn't all work. But I'd much rather see a really stylish thriller, like a really stylish European thriller with Matthias Schoenhart and Exopolis. <laughs> like 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 this there's, there's incredible there's incredible looking racing scenes. It's a very, very European film. 
It looks fantastic. It's fantastically shot. And yes, not all the narrative beats work. 100%. I agree with that. But I'd rather see a film that takes risk with its narrative beats than not take any risks at all. And for that reason, I really liked this film. It's not it's not it's not a classic by any stretch. I understand people's criticisms. Try something different and if it doesn't work, at least it's an interesting film. And that's where I stand with it. It's it's just a bit different. And yeah, it is melod- it does slide into melodrama, but I'd rather slide it into melodrama than it just slide into blandness. That's where I stand with it. Well, before I slide into a coma, I'm going to get to my review of a film that you covered last week, Paul, which is um, either The Secret of Marabone or just Marabone, depending on where you look on the internet. Um, this one I was excited for primarily because it involves a performance from Anya Taylor-Joy, who is fast becoming one of my favourite actresses, at least young actresses, I think, working at the moment. Uh, the story you've set up last week, Paul, but very, very quickly, you've got uh, some kids and their mother. They have to move to America because the dad is the big bad and he he might be on the warpath and looking to find them after doing naughty things over in England. Um, they move into this old creaky house, a bit Crimson Peak feeling, and soon after that, the mother's health deteriorates rapidly and they are left to fend for themselves. The head of the gang, the oldest of the group, is um, a character played by George McKay. George McKay, of course, is the creepy sort of um, Colkin looking kid <laughs> who was in uh, Captain Fantastic. And, and oh, he's shit. one was of those who Fantastic? just. Is, he was. Yeah, he's the yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the creepy Colkin looking one in Captain yeah. Fantastic as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, he he's just one of those like he's got a face that sort of grabs you a bit like uh, Jamie Bell or something like that, but even more. Uh, he's seen things. It looks like he's seen things in his life. And then in the the group of kids as well, you've got a character played by Charlie Heaton, who's that sort of intense, um, sort of uh, hawk-eyed boy from Stranger Things. Um, If you know the guy I'm talking about, he looks like a ghost, very pale skin. You've also got Mia Goth, who looks like a goth, and the ghost, uh, who's the the beau, I think, of uh, Shia LaBeouf, as it goes. Um, And then you've got a little kid played by an actor, Matthew Stagg, who is the the one who needs most protecting, I suppose. This gang meets the Anya Taylor-Joy character who lives for reasons that aren't ever really explained, seemingly alone in a giant house on the hill overlooking where these kids are holed up, trying to to go about a normal life, although they are essentially segregated and separate from the rest of society. What the film is, is a creepy, creaky, a fairly... Um, fairly cliched and boring, is that what and, you're and, and, and it's not quite, <laughs> but I'll get there. A kind of slow build of a thing that feels not out of the ballpark of something like hereditary and i won't go in that direction Ooh, that's that's not that's, any no. further but um i thought the film first of all looks beautiful the exterior scenery stuff is just all like lush grass and summertime in the countryside and it reminded me of sort of where i grew up a little bit and so for that reason i was already on board i think the performances particularly from george mckay uh, for the most part are very very strong i could look at the giant distance between anya taylor joy's eyes for the rest of my life and be perfectly content sorry did we watch the same george mckay performance that i watched because he was shit no you're 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 way wrong you're way wrong yeah i think you have to watch it again maybe you have to watch it again but yeah like this is all to say that that where the film goes in the end and paul sort of hinted at it last week and i won't obviously spoil anything where the film goes i know for you paul um you said you wished it had gone in the other direction i don't think it was finished i don't think the, the film was wrapped up perfectly but i think it was pretty close for a film of this type and okay. to me I didn't bulk at the elements that are, that were thrown in in the final right. third of the movie without yeah as okay. I say without spoiling anything yeah, yeah for me it works it crept up it made me feel good. Well, and I think, can I, I just you, can I just add at the end Paul yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. this had the most harrowing um, hand feeding of a raccoon scene that I've seen in I'll some time I'll give you time. that yeah <laughs> but no I think it's, inter- it's an interesting point I think, I think if you don't bulk at the scenes that I bulked at and if you don't bulk at those scenes I think the film might be quite effective but for me that bit that that payoff when you basically when you see what's in the attic 
for me it didn't work mm. but i think and that's where the film died for me but i think if it works for you then i think actually you could probably read the film a, a different way a movie it? that this so, a movie that yeah, this yeah. reminded me of and this is certainly is the kim ji woon movie uh tale of two sisters okay uh, the k- korean movie from sort of the early 2000s and and people who've seen that movie will know why once they see this one but like yeah if you're into that kind of thing creaky floorboards and sort of ghostly hands on the shoulder and stuff like that then i think there's a lot to like in marabone uh secret of marabone and, and check it out if you can it's on wide release at the moment paul what's second for you right i'm gonna make a promise now to listeners that i'm gonna try and make this review more interesting than my last review of racer in the jailbird <laughs> because apparently pete didn't find it engaging <laughs> uh, what so, have you got so what have i got so i've got first reformed which i talked about i think well, I think we talked about it last week briefly. So this is yeah. uh, Paul Schrader's latest directorial output. Now, Paul Schrader is a director who, as as a director, uh, definitely is a mixed bag. Uh, he's made uh, he's made Blue Collar, which I hear is very very good. But he's also made a terrible Exorcist prequel. He also made uh, Canyons, which had Lindsay Lohan and the porn star James Dean James in it. Dean, I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's he's a, he's, a, he's a director of mixed output. Uh, this is uh, this is another directorial output from obviously Paul Schrader, uh, starring Ethan Hawke as a priest of the First Reformed Church, the titular First Reformed Church. And I have to say, I thought this was superb, like absolutely superb. I think it's. And again, no spoilers. Uh, as much as I can, as much as I cannot give spoilers whilst reviewing it, because it's a very story-heavy film. Um, it, it gives a great character study of a priest, and I, I say that because if you think about it, like there are jobs that you think are high pressure. There are jobs that you think people go through, like they take like the worst of humanity. I mean, my father was a police officer for thirty years, like a PC for thirty years. So that guy saw some shit he saw some terrible things like firefighters see some terrible things you're in the armed service you see some terrible things there are jobs where you see some terrible things there are jobs when you don't think that actually you're exposed to like the worst of humanity all the time and then in this you've got ethan hawke who's playing a priest and then about halfway through you sit there and go oh my god like priests are exposed to just people like just delivering the worst of themselves to a priest and you're like paul i would certainly hope I would like, certainly hope that you didn't respond by using the Lord's name in vain. It would seem inappropriate. No, of course it didn't. Like of course it didn't. <laughs> of course it didn't. But do you know what I mean? It puts it into perspective. You sit there and go, well, as a priest, actually, you are just hearing people just, just unleash their like, inner demons to you. And at some point, and I hadn't, it wasn't until I watched this film that I thought at some point that must take its toll on you. And wow, does this film show something taking a toll on a priest? The comparisons to Taxi Driver are fair, in in all honesty. It's just like it shows a man on the edge. But to show a man of the cloth on the edge, I don't think is something that we've seen on screen before. Um, And it does it so, so well. Like, so well. It touches on, like, environmental issues where... It touches on environmental issues, and it basically... What it touches on is the fact that Ethan Hawke, as, as a genuine man of the cloth has had enough of the impact on biz business, big business on the church that he's supposed to be preaching for. And, oh my word, does it show you a man on the edge? And, I like, the end... Right, and I'm going to close on this, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Watch it. For God's sake, watch it. And I deliberately used the Lord's name in vain there. For God's sake, watch it, because I am pretty confident that it has the best ending of any film this year. Without a shadow of a doubt, the ending of the year belongs to First Reformed. The last ten minutes are like nothing you've seen for quite some time. Incredible, incredible. See First Reformed, find strong, it, watch it. Strong Pete, stuff. What have you got next? A near, yeah, strong a near stuff for religious sure. level of recommendation yes. from Paul yeah, Anderson 100%. on that one. Um, I I might not get as fervid about my recommendation of of the next. You'll probably be more more fervid than it was about the race in the jailbird from the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, like the the film that I'm reviewing, maybe won't get me as as excited, or or maybe you as excited. But um, this one is it's an odd one. It's a film called Birthmarked, which is uh, shown up on on streaming, I believe, on Netflix at the moment. It's a 2018 release, although it has the feel of a film that was probably finished a little while ago. Um, it's directed by a person, a man called Emmanuel Host Desmarais. Um, who I don't know anything about, so I'm not even going to research him. Um, but the the big headline here is that we have in the lead role, uh, well, Matthew Good, but then Tony Collette. 
Um, Tony Collette, of course, that we talked about at length when it came to the review of Hereditary not long ago at all. Here we see Tony Collette as the head of a family again, um, but in this case, we're in a very different territory in some ways, Paul. What you have is a sort of quirky story of a pair of scientists, played by Collette and, and Good, who are raising their children. Um, at the behest or the wishes of a scientist played by Michael Smiley, of all people. Um, who, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm intrigued. Who, uh, <laughs> he's basically paying them to be a part of a research project wherein they raise their children um, as to go against the nature of those children. The whole premise is about how much we're affected by nature versus nurture. And under a controlled set of circumstances in a controlled environment, can children be nurtured to be absolutely anything at all? Um, it will bring okay. to mind things like um, the Stanford prison experiment, I would suppose. Um, also at points, things like the Milgram test, um, for sure. Because the film is interested in sort of how far these parents will go first of all to obey orders which is where the, the whole milgram test thing comes in but also just to to follow i guess the the strands of science that they're so interested in the film doesn't entirely work some of the quirky kind of offbeat humor misses the mark a little bit i think that tony collette as she always does fully commits to the role it just all felt a bit thin and intellectually like underwritten slightly so that if you have a handle on these issues and it isn't your first time encountering um, sort of undergraduate psychology, then maybe it's not going to radically change your thinking on anything much. There was a film, wasn't there, a Michel Gondry film called like Human Nature? Is that a thing? Yeah. I believe that's a thing. Yeah. And that it's, With them, Garcia Bernal. Yeah, similar-ish yeah. kind of territory and similar quirk to this one. It's, yeah, as I say, it's... No, that was The Science of Sleep. Sorry, I've completely got the wrong film there. But yes, I know the film. Yeah, know. with Reese Ifans <laughs> is the one I'm talking about where he, like, devolves yes, into yeah, a monkey yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, it's interesting, man. It's an interesting one. It's an oddity. I think there's enough there for, for anyone who thinks that, like, this kind of movie, you know, think um, things like A Dangerous Method or... Um, um, or the the movie that was about uh, the couple who uh, researched sex all of their lives, which I've forgotten the name of. Um, yeah, oh, it, yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. a it's a quirky sort of oddity, um, and make your own mind up. Uh, to be honest, maybe it's in my nature to be uh, not fully embracing of a movie like this, or maybe I've been conditioned by my surroundings. To roll my eyes a little bit at when a film tries to jump into science as a jumping off point for comedy. But um, yeah, that one's called Birthmarked and it is available to stream right now. Paul, is that the end of the section? That is the end of the section. We'll be back very shortly with Coming Attraction. So we are back with the next section that Paul rightly called Coming Attractions. In this section, we talk about movies that haven't come out yet that we're excited about. First, Paul, I'm going to dive right in there and say that I am pretty excited about news of the film Bird Box. Do you know anything about this one? No. Right. Well, I will, I will tell <laughs> you a frank. couple of little, no, little tidbits that are going to get you right interested. Um, this film, first of all, is directed by uh, Suzanne Beer from a novel by Josh Malaman uh, that I have not read. But um, the description will hook you in, I think. A woman and a pair of children are blindfolded and make their way through a post-apocalyptic setting along a river. Now, if that wasn't enough to get you palpitating at the, uh, at the thought of seeing this thing later this year when it apparently releases in December, the cast is ludicrous. So we have Sandra Bullock. I... Ludicrous is in it from Fast and Furious. <laughs> There's no actual ludicrous, I don't think. Shame for shame. But um, no, at the head of the Sorry. cast is Sandra Bullock. I know I like her more than you, but we'll move on. Uh, Sarah Paulson, everyone's got to be on side with her by now. Rosa Salazar, who I just go on about all the time and is in Elite Battle Angel later this year too. John Malkovich, I think everybody knows what he's capable of. Jackie Weaver. We've also got Lil Rel Howery, who is my who is uh, your boy's, uh, Daniel Kilua's mate in Get Out. 
who comes in and intervenes. Uh, we've got Machine Gun Kelly. Okay, cough. Uh, we've also got Danielle Patty Cakes McDonald in this thing. We've got Tr- uh, Travante Rhodes, who is like the muscular version of the central character in Moonlight, who I thought was phenomenal in that movie. Um, and then, Paul, and finally... 50 Cent, you mean? You mean 50 Cent? Yes, that's right. And then finally, we have uh, an actor that I know nothing about, other than the fact that his name is Happy Anderson, Paul. Happy Anderson. Oh. He's your oh. doppelganger. A, contradi- a contradiction in terms, but, Pete. But do you want to know uh, the role that he's been given, Paul? Go on. Riverman. Riverman. <laughs> Well, I've been called worse things than Riverman, so, so I'll take it. I'll take that role. I'll embrace it. So yeah, it. all of that heady <laughs> concoction is called uh, Bird Box, and Bird will release at least stateside by end of the year, the internet has told me. Paul, what have you got this week? So look, I, I feel that coming attractions, we've reversed what we've done now, because previously you gave me loads of grief for not giving dates about films, and uh, I was the one that... that, that 21st of December, way, 2018, way, way, way off Paul. in the future. Oh, okay. Oh, well done. Well done, Pete. Well done. Uh, so I'm coming up with Apostasy, which I believe is out this week, I think, on uh, in limited cinemas and also definitely on Curzon On Demand. So worth picking up on Curzon On Demand, I think. Uh, this is Apostasy, uh, directed by Dan Cocotalo, I think is the way to pronounce his name. Apologies if I messed that up. Uh, Dan Cocotalo was a man that had previously... Uh, been raised with, a, I think, a, a strict Jehovah's Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness upbringing, and is about a girl who ends up pregnant, and then about how her Jehovah's Witness family deal with her, and about her life with uh, living a very strict, strict Jehovah's Witness upbringing. The trailer looks very, very good. I think it looks like quite a powerful film, uh, and I'm quite excited to see it. And the main reason I'm excited to see it is because the director. Did previous has previously left the Jehovah's Witness lifestyle, so I think it would be. I think this has been touched on in in films before, but I think it would be very interesting to see a film directed by someone that has been a part of that faith and has chosen to leave that faith. And like I saw the trailer for the first time of the day, um, and it looks like it, it could be very very powerful stuff. So I'm I'm, I'm quite excited about it, and hopefully we'll get to see it this week. We'll see where we go. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm nice. intrigued, the, very intrigued by it. The, I yeah, I, I, I was intrigued by that one as well, man. The only thing that that made me sort of uh, quiver a little bit was um, the fact that it reminded me of Silence, which I did not like. But um, I think we're in complete, yeah, we're in yes. completely well, we both different, hated Silence. Uh, different both territory with this one. Silence, so yeah, so, yeah. well, the, do you know why? Do you know why it's different? It's because the director of this has decided that he left the Jehovah's Witness faith, and Martin Scorsese decided that he'd try and make us all feel guilty for not being <laughs> yeah. Catholics. Yeah, to, to each their own, I suppose. That's Horses for courses, or something. Right. Yes. Um, we will yes. be back in yes. just a moment when we get into the meaty, meaty part of the show, which we call feature reviews. So, Pete, what have you got first? I say that because we haven't discussed the running order of the feature reviews. So, Pete, what would you like to review first? Is it, the world is your oyster at this point. Well, two films are your oyster. Which would you like to reverse review first, Pete? It's entirely up to you. Um, yes. It's, it's sometimes like, you know, we say that thing sometimes about giving a peek behind the curtain. The Paul Anderson approach <laughs> is more like hold the curtain open for the entire show <laughs> and show all the horrible and ugly workings that go on behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, first of all, we're going to go for Incredibles 2 because I saw this like two hours ago maybe a little more and so it's fresh in the mind i thought we'd get to this one first shall i set it up a little bit paul why not why not so um, as much as i can do uh in in sort of a brief and concise fashion uh, incredibles 2 essentially uh, brad bird of course back in directorial or with directorial duties on this one as he was the first um it picks up exactly where incredibles left off in fact in an action sequence that is almost completed as if 14 years had not passed by 14 so, years has gone by Pete. 14 14 years 14 incredibles long years terrifying it's yeah, genuinely uh, terrifying. Sorry, carry on. I, I well, I, yeah, on God knows what we were doing in 2004. Yes. Um, and simply with the line here, uh, back to work for Incredibles 2, because our group of familial superheroes are going to be dragged 
back in for at least one last job, if not many, many jobs. What we have at the center of Incredibles 2 is a very familiar story of the banning, um, outlawing of the heroes, people with powers, special individuals like we've seen in uh, the MCU and X-Men X, uh, series and stuff like that. And of course, we know that at some point they're going to have to get the spandex back on and get back out there and fight crime and save the world. But things aren't as clear as they might seem because in the mix we've got this character played by uh, really really well I think by Bob Odenkirk who is going to uh, proposition Elastigirl to head up uh, the the group's re-emergence onto the public stage but it seems maybe because it's Bob Odenkirk that something a little bit murky might be up with this whole proposition before we get into our thoughts about the movie let's hear a little clip looks normal to me when did this start happening? Since Helen got the job. I assume she knows. Are you kidding? I can't tell her about this. Not while she's doing hero work. Mama. Girl, come on. Leave the saving of the world to the men? I don't Mama. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we can succeed. I get it, Bob. I get it. When was the last time you slept? Who keeps track of that? Besides, he's a baby. I can handle it. I got this handle. So... You good then? You got everything under control, right? What the? Cookie, cha cha want a cookie? Num num cookie, cha cha num 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 cookie. Right. So, fourteen years later, as I think as Pete just alluded to, I was so happy that this just picked up immediately after The Last Incredibles left off. Especially as the last film I watched before Incredibles 2 was The Incredibles. So it was perfect. And I love the fact that they didn't bother. Like, the Undermine is there. It follows straight from the Undermine. You've got this, like, really silly, mole, like, supervillain mole character that appears very early doors and is just a whole heap of fun. And then, it's again, it's early doors. And it just doesn't appear again. It was great because he's clearly far underground. Yeah. Which is great. I love the fact that I love the fact that it, it picked up exactly where the first one left off. What I loved about the first Incredibles was the fact that actually, of all the Pixar films, it felt less like a Pixar film than anything else did. And having rewatched it quite recently, there was less love. It was more of a superhero genre piece than it was a Pixar film. I'm doing bunny ears for listeners at home. Uh, it was more of a straight up superhero film than it, than it was a Pixar film. And uh, so it was It was quite nice for this to, to, to pick up where it left off. And I think it was kind of a bold decision to pick up exactly where it left off. I like that rather than said it years and years in the future. Um, and the same the same humour still there. And I have to say, I loved it. I, I genuinely really, really, really enjoyed this film. You've got what you've got is what you've what they've done really well is that I like the fact whereas the first film kind of put Mr. Incredible front and centre. They've they've heard what people are saying, they understand what people are saying, and they've put Elastigirl front and centre this time round, but not in a way that not in a way that feels cliched, not in a way that feels token female representation. They've just done it in a clever way that serves the plot very, 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 very well. And then you've got you've got kind of the, they've reversed the situation where you've got so you've got Elastigirl front and centre doing the superhero stuff, and then you've got Mr. Incredible really struggling with the parental stuff at home, which I thought set a really nice tone. Pete, yeah, yeah, help me out here. It's right. So yeah, of course, uh, the Craig T. Nelson reprises the role as Bob Parr slash Mr. Incredible, and as Paul mentioned, has to stay at home, essentially uh, raising a family and doing. Uh, quote-unquote mum stuff um in this case the (laughs) biggest challenge that he faces is like handling jack jack because jack jack is turning rapidly from a sort of um uh blathering little baby into one of the most capable potential superheroes do you know what i can relate i can relate i can relate to his problem though because we've got our own jack jack on the podcast and it's exactly the same way as we have to so, try sometimes he, he multiplies into uh <laughs> many of his, himself and then, and then sets himself on fire <laughs> And then, yeah, I should mention as well some other people that pop up here. So I mentioned Bob Odenkirk is this guy who, is he good, is he bad? We don't know. It was revealed later on. Um, Alongside him playing his sister is uh, one of the very best working uh, actresses, I think, Catherine Keener, who came up when we talked about Sicario 2 
colon soldado a week or two ago. Um, just just an unmistakable voice. The first time she delivers a sentence, you know that it's her. Um, in addition, Holly Hunter again is Helen Parr slash Elastigirl, another voice that you just you can't mistake, mistake for, for anybody else. else. Um, so I think in terms of the voice work here, it's as good as it's ever been. Um, and then... Pete, I have to. I have a confession to make. I yep. have a confession to make. It's been puzzling me since I watched it two nights ago. I was like, I couldn't place the voice of his sister. It's Catherine, it's Keener, Catherine yeah. Keener. So I feel really, really bad now. I was like, I know that voice from somewhere. I know that voice. Yeah, for, for for people who who that doesn't ring a bell straight away because I know I do this thing with like names of people. Uh, the mother in Get Out with the soothing voice and the cup of tea and the little yep. teaspoon. This is is Catherine Keener uh, in the flesh. But in this thing, yeah, of course it's all animation. Of course we just hear those voices. But I thought those two were really strong additions. The Catherine Keener character, the Bob Odenkirk character, and they work really well and play off each other. And then we're going to get this kind of jeopardy where the supers have to figure out if they're being played and who's playing them and how and in what way they can actually benefit society and then, I suppose, overarchingly benefit each other as a family and all come together and learn that ultimately teamwork is the best way to go. I think they achieve all of that in this movie. It's like a very family-friendly movie, but it's not family-friendly at the expense of like an adult or grown-up audience. No, I would agree And with I that. think that's to his I great I would agree credit, with that, because really. there's actually... There's actually so, so you've got the, the villain of the pieces is the screenslaver, and actually the screenslaver, I don't know if you're aware, Pete, there's some... Character in the Ghost in the Shell. There's an animated series of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which the guys at Pixar will 100% have watched. Uh, and there's a character in that called the Laughing Man who kind of hacks into stuff and does this message that's on screen, very, very much like the way the screen slaver delivers this message, which is actually very creepy and actually quite scary. And I think there's a set piece in about the middle of the film. I was just like, wow, this is quite, this is very effective. And actually, mm. like. Not too dark by any stretch, but I was like, this is this is refreshingly quite dark and quite scary. Anything with the screen slaver in it is actually quite is, is very effective. I think for me, I think I I, I really enjoyed the film. I, before before I, I, I level some slight criticisms, it's one of the best superhero movies of the year. It's more than a Pixar film. It's a superhero movie in its own right, which I thought the same thing of Incredibles. I think for me, and I'm going to throw this out there, it's a better superhero movie than Age of Ultron. It's probably on a par with Black Panther for me in terms of my favourite superhero movies of the year. However, I would say that I think the reveal of who the villain actually is, for me, was a bit obvious. And that's where the film kind of let itself down a little bit. I thought it was too too signpost. It was, like, it was too much like the first film. If you thought yeah. about the first one, it was too much like the first one. It was like, I know where this is coming from. And to set up such a brilliantly, genuinely quite scary villain, and then to reveal who it was, it was just like, ah, oh, that was obvious. But it's a minor gripe, because the film is a whole ton of fun. A whole ton yeah. of fun. Like, yeah, and, and of course, Happy Happy Anderson just, just loved all of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and I mean, you know, other other things, man. Like the, all of these nods that you get in the movie, like definite nod to uh, the video game series Portal, which oh, yeah, I appreciated. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah uh, for sure. Definite nod to uh, Honey, I blew up the baby, which yeah. I appreciated yeah. as well. Uh, if you look for them, they're there, yeah. and I think that again, that's that's to credit the movie quite a bit. Um, seeing Edna Mode again, this yeah. this kind Edna's of flamboyant costume Edna's designer. Brilliant. Character, of course, voiced by by Brad Bird himself. Um, was that really, really Brad Bird? And, I had no idea that was Brad Bird. That's fucking ace. Yeah, I, <laughs> I believe also Brad Brad Bird's kid uh, plays the voice of like Monster Jack Jack. Oh wow! Okay. In this movie oh, that's as well. Neat. So that's neat. Yeah, on the voice side, there's all sorts going on. And I think that, like, yeah, I, I would say if I was going to say anything negative about it, Paul, because I liked it a lot, um, there, there is a section maybe that drags a little bit, I think, in the sort of setting up of the crescendo to this movie yeah. that um, that maybe could have been trimmed yeah, down think, a little bit. The I think thing it, does... it suffers from the same thing that every superhero film suffers from, that if it was 90 minutes, it would have been perfect, but they're never 90 yeah. minutes. Why, is, why just make a 90-minute superhero film? They're obviously not going to do it because they would have done it by now. But I'm with you, Pete. Like, it, it, but it was it, yeah. Again, for me, as good as anything Marvel have released this year. And and can just just to, because I've given all these shouts to like voice actors, can I just say that I had this thought during this movie, which was my word. Like, I wish that Samuel L. Jackson's roles now were all animated. <laughs> just not because I don't like looking at Samuel L. Jackson, but it just feels like. 
something is toned down in Samuel L. Jackson to the point of being an actual character rather than just an iteration of himself, <laughs> uh, which I really appreciate about his Frozone character that's come back in this one. So yeah, lot, lots to like, man. It zips along at a pace. We just both, I think, wish that that pace culminated in 90 to 100 minutes yep. of film Completely rather than like 121 Completely or whatever this thing actually is. Um, we will be back then in just a moment with our second feature review. Paul, what are we going to do next? Uh, what have we got next? We have got uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's latest output, uh, Skyscraper. Get excited. We'll be right back after this. So we are back with our second feature review. And as we mentioned just before the break, this one is Skyscraper featuring everybody's favourite rock, Dwayne the rock johnson um he paul in this what? movie believe it or not has to save absolutely everyone but particularly <laughs> believe it or not his his family um yes so the movie uh, for as much as we need to give any setup to a movie with the rock in it called skyscraper um is about a super building of the future in hong kong i think it, i think it, it dwarfs the burj khalifa i think is at some point is that's dropped in yeah. it's like two they're basically like two two to three kilometers high i think I think it's double the Burj Khalifa and like <laughs> multiple times the Eiffel Tower. It's big. It's right big. And like it's got um commercial section for the bottom 50%. The top half is um going to be opened as living quarters, apartments, what have you, for residents who haven't yet moved in. However, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as we learn in uh, the first sequence of the movie, has been through some stuff, which uh, in his role as sort of hostage negotiator slash security guy slash general tough um, has slash amputee don't forget he's lost well, the leg yeah I was going to say has ended up costing him uh, the okay. lower section of, of I think his left leg um, he's also been sort of shaken and, and traumatised by the events that happen at the beginning of the movie and this leads him basically uh, pushing a pen around and trying to get private security company that he owns that company inexplicably is now bidding to do the um, sort of security check on the most expensive building on the planet earth uh, so let's give it to like a mum and pop business I guess um, <laughs> he goes along there to Hong Kong to have a look at the security features basically says yeah they all look fine um at this point they give him an at this point die hard happens yeah right? yeah yeah we will get into it um they give him again rather inexplicably uh, an ipad type device others are available uh which apparently has all security codes on it because that's the thing that happens in 2018 uh he wanders off and uh, would you believe it someone tries to take all the security codes off him he uh has to try to get into the building to save his family because oh my goodness the building is on fire here is a little clip. Listen to me. Opening those doors from this floor can't be done. Anything can be done with the proper motivation. No, 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 I'm going to throw your door off the roof. I've got to say, your setup basically reviewed it. Like, if you if you don't like what Peter's just said, then just just step away now. I love the fact that Pete set it up. I was laughing, I was chuckling to myself all the way through it. Like, it's a film about a skyscraper with it's Die Hard with the rock in it, isn't it? Yeah. Let's, let's be frank. And, it's Die Hard with the. And rock can in I it. just can I just like, sprinkle um, <laughs> some some magical dust on top of this? Uh, little treat which is that the director of this movie Paul has got a name that sounds like words that you would say if you'd just been given general anesthetic do you know the name of this Rawson guy? Thurber. It's Rawson Marshall Thurber R isn't Rawson it? Thurber, that's not a name the director of Dodgeball has now made Skyscraper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, as you say, the, a lot of comparisons here to, to other and probably better movies. I mean, I should mention, Paul, um, I, I want your thoughts on this, but a, a standout in a 
a strange standout in a film about a giant skyscraper starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the fact that Neve Campbell still gets work, and actually she's quite good in this. Um, well, she she had a she had like a I think she had a, a big comeback. She was in the latest series of House of Cards, right. which I think is where her comeback stemmed from. So she's turned up as a pretty major character in that. So. Right. Well, well, if if like mine, your memories of Neve Campbell are essentially Party of Five, and then that bit in or Wild Things, that bit in Wild Things, that bit in Wild she, Things, yeah. yeah, where she does all making out with champagne and stuff then um yeah it's kind of nice to see her back although unfortunately there might not be a champagne threesome in this one but you know who knows i might have missed it um paul you've said that it's like die hard you've said well we've both said that we like the rock before what is to recommend this movie if anything the rock (laughs) can you elaborate (laughs) at this point that's pretty much it like i came into this and I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go because he gives, and we've talked about this in podcast before. And I was, I was a massive wrestling fan at the time. And for me, at WWE at its peak, and I'm gonna drift into WWE at its peak a little bit. When you've got the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's when for me WWE was at its peak, like entertainment or WWF as it was then, because you've got characters like the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin who gave a hundred and ten. 20 30 40 50 percent to entertain their audience now the rock's background as a wrestler clearly shows through in his film work every film that he's in no matter the material he gives everything to keep the audience entertained and skyscraper is no different it is absolutely no different to that the material around him is not the best it's derivative of die hard like there's so many there's there's one point there's one point in the film where the terrorists go we've locked down all the panels and you can't get to any of the panels and then 10 minutes later the rocks access in the panels in the building i'm like what are you doing like there's plot holes as big as you as, there's plot holes as big as the rock's arm in this it's well, very very well, silly yeah, to, to, i mean like, to pick up on that point man there is that section where they say yeah the control panel is within the turbine that's currently turning in the middle of the building yeah. and it's the kind of it's the kind of sort of lazy screenwriting that exists only in things like video games right where it's like yes, go from a to b yeah. and do difficult thing because like it's like you're playing an uncharted or something but you don't actually get to to control it yourself um and also like you've got all these riffs not only to, to die on die hard but things that seem fairly um like knowing for example the thing with gaffer tape that riffs on ghost protocol yeah, which the, is quite funny the mission yeah, yeah. possible movie yeah. which you know those are kind of tongue-in-cheek and, and good fun i mean the line at the end of the film is exactly the same line as the line at the end of san andreas which was the the, the brightest moment of probably this entire movie for me so they know what they're doing to but, an extent but the problem is but my problem is with this is that there's there's moments where it's knowing but there's so many moments where it's just so po-faced right like there's there's no, there's no real line between like is the, I, I don't think the filmmaker knows whether to make this a complete piss take and just not take it seriously or to make this like a gung ho like uh, see my problem with San Andreas was that in parts it took itself far too seriously and I think I have the same issues with Skyscraper it just doesn't know the tone it wants to set mm. and honestly like set it stupid just set it silly like the whole concept is silly like. I came out of it and my wife just went, I still don't really understand why they set the building on fire. And I'm like, no, me neither. Like, I don't really understand. Like, and I think my frustration with this is, Pete, is that it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It would probably be a one star. For me, it would be a one star film without Drain Johnson in it. As it is, it's a three star film because Drain Johnson gives 110%. And I love him for it. And I love the fact that he is one of... For me, he's probably like the one of the true movie stars of the moment. Like, if you follow him on social media, he he'll rock into a random cinema screen and go, "Hi guys, I'm here," and just crash a cinema screen. You're like, that effort comes across. That much, how much he loves his fans comes across, and I respect that. But what I really want to see is him not work with his mate Rawson Thurber, who's not a talented director. I'm sorry, Rawson Thurber, you're not. Uh, I what I want to see is a really good director seeing what they can get out of Dwayne Johnson because I think that could be something quite special. Skyscraper isn't it, but I re- do you know where I'm coming from? I just want to see a really good director work with Dwayne Johnson and see where they go. I think that could be great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think that like, 
I have a lot of love for the guy. He's clearly charismatic. He comes across as a really good guy. He's done things like Moana, which show that he's got um, a, a sort of flexibility in terms of his performances and in terms of the audience that he can capture that goes way beyond someone like uh, Tom Cruise, for example, who is roughly yeah. a contemporary in terms of the roles that they're taking, if not yeah. the, the age profile and stuff like that. The, these two well, guys. Schwarzenegger's, Schwarzenegger's, another con- Schwarzenegger's another comparative. I, I guess so, but yeah, really on the outs rather than the ins in terms of yeah. his career yeah. trajectory and, and age I, yeah, I guess yeah, fair, but I mean yeah. I think yeah. that it's also it's not the elephant in the room here but like it's important to mention that the movie is as you rightly say Paul it's it's turned sort of like comical and repo face but like it's also this gigantic very obvious juggernaut that is aimed directly at the Asian market I mean this thing is set in Hong Kong as mentioned and then we've got like a a Taiwanese uh, model slash action star of some sort with really cool hair I thought she was very good for what she got to do but again start to sort of western audiences not that there's anything wrong with that but like the feel of this movie is very much like this is going to make a ton of money in asia it's not going to make that much money in the us or here but in some ways i i would say i would yes and no i think in in some ways that was kind of refreshing for me because it was quite refreshing to see like the the police the police force Actually, yeah, speak but watch, Mandarin, a, watch a movie that's in Mandarin. Mandarin though, man. but, like, there are plenty of Asian movies, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, but no, but yeah, but is it no? But my, my point is, it's quite nice to see a major Hollywood production where rather than them just speak English and you assume they're speaking Mandarin for the matches actually to speak Mandarin, it be subtitled. That whether whether for the right or wrong reasons that was refreshing. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I I Personally. I just think that there's yeah, a yeah. we're in a new era, and I don't know that I'd even call something like Skyscraper a major Hollywood production. These are all co-productions between studios that exist on on you know different no, corners of the globe. So yeah, like it, it sounds incredibly cynical, but the movie is cynical. I mean, this is a big cynical action movie, you know, designed to take take your money and so it needs to be entertaining and I, I think that not enough of the movie is entertaining maybe to justify all of the kind of bluster and all of the, the marketing that will go into it in the first place no I think I'm, I think I'm with you and I think we, look, look, we know Dwayne Johnson is charismatic we know he can carry slightly crappy material but enough of that do something good please like do something genuinely really good like I think that would be fanc- fascinating to watch him with a really talented director, because I think he's got enough charisma. Did you not see Baywatch? Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving on from that. But you know, you know where I'm coming from, Pete. Like, put him with a really talented director. Put him. Do you know what? Like, I would happily watch Jane Johnson in a Paul Thomas Anderson film. I think that would be great because I think Dwayne Johnson could offer something to it. I think he's got enough charisma. I think he's he's an interesting enough actor. Let's not I'm, get no, I'm intrigued. Away. I'm intrigued. But I'm, my point is, I'm intrigued to do to see him do something different than just a vehicle for him. And I think that's where. And interestingly enough, Skyscraper has tanked at the box office. And what a lot of people have been writing is that there's, there's been too many Dwayne Johnson films this year. So I, I want to see him do something interesting. I rate him a lot. He's very charismatic. But something yeah. more interesting than this, which is basically just a yeah, poor Die Hard remake, to be frank. Right. Yeah, I mean, two, two points. Two points. It, it's tanked at the, the box office over here, so that goes back to the previous thing <laughs> I said. But secondly, that I think that if you get Dwayne Johnson, as enthusiastic as you might be about this guy, transitioning to being in serious movies, you're going to get something like CM Punk's transition to the UFC, where he flails into the movie, gets instantly taken down and subbed out by all of the actors in his vicinity when he's found out to be actually a very charismatic but not particularly good actor i think you'll find that Dwayne johnson was the best thing in the southland tales so southland tales is terrible though man that's why that (laughs) happened um i was just gonna i was gonna try and do sort of my due diligence and say what it is that he's going to be doing next um so we've got in the pipeline for for mr hobson hobson shaw d johnson yeah we've got uh new episodes of ballers which is a thing i will never watch uh, we've got something <laughs> called Fighting With My Family, which sounds dreadful. We've got something called Jungle Cruise, which also sounds awful. We've got Jumanji 2, so that's a thing. Um, we've got Red Notice, Paul. Do you anything about Red Notice? No, not a thing. Um, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Is there, a fire, is there a fire in a building in it? I imagine there is a fire in a building in it at some Maybe point. Maybe it's a sequel to this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Suicide Squad 2 apparently has got Dwayne Johnson in it. Was he in the first one? No. Okay, well, there's that. That's a thing. 
there's probably going to be like a Fast and Furious 12 or something at some point. But look, so, so, so Skyscraper, where, where do we stand on this? Let's, let's, let's sum up. Just Well, I feel like the whole review has been, been a better. bit of a sum up. But, oh, oh, Paul, you'll be pleased to know that Redis is directed by Rawson Marshall Thurber. Rawson Marshall Thurber. And don't get me wrong, if you watch them on social media, I'm very pleased that they are best of friends. But seriously, Dwayne Johnson, get a better director that challenges you. That's that's probably yeah, but, where but, I'll leave it. Just but, challenge but like, yourself. Your point is very much taken, Paul. But like, but but for why? If you're Dwayne Johnson, for why? This guy is rolling in it right now. He's making stacks on stacks on stacks. Well, he's the highest paid actor in the world. Yeah, he's the highest why paid change? actor in the world at the moment. So yeah, why? Yeah, why change? Yeah, I just. But for me, for me, it'd be nice to see him challenged by an interesting yeah. director. That's I just, where I stand. I That's just think I you get that much money. The idea of challenging yourself is going to drift off over the horizon. But we'll see. I mean, watch the face. And if a Paul Thomas Anderson film starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson is announced, then we'll be first there to give it the full review treatment. Well, he cast Adam Sandler. He cast Adam Sandler. Yeah, so I mean, not, they're almost identical. Um, so before we get out of here, Paul, have you got anything that you want to give it to this week? Uh, no. Um, I, can I jump in and, you and can put jump a big in. damper on? You can jump in. I want to put a damper on the whole episode and just say that um, last night I watched or rewatched, I should say, for a third time actually, uh, the uh, David Lowry film A Ghost Story. It's now streaming on Netflix. I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast that it, that it is the moment. So watch it. it. Was your film of the year last year? It, it was. Yeah. If you haven't watched it, watch it. But just make sure you sort of protect your heart and the hearts of the people around you before you do. Because oh my word, like today I've kind of walked around in a little bit of a, a stupor, and I keep listening to that that um, Dark Rooms track. Uh, I get overwhelmed, which turns out is the who's worked with David. Lowry on all his films including Pete's Dragon so Pete's Dragon is now on Netflix which I haven't right. watched yet so I'm intrigued yeah I, I, I don't know I don't know what else to say about a ghost story other than than it, it's kind of everything to me in certain ways um, has anything struck you Paul that you've now thought I now want to say that this is worth credit or should we just get out of here for this week <laughs> uh, no, a ghost story 100% nice. co-sign on a ghost story if you haven't seen it see it it's brilliant it's one of my it wasn't my top film of last year but it is one of my top films of last year it's like pretty much nothing else you've watched, and it's brilliant. So, yeah, I co-sign on that, Pete, 100%. If you haven't seen The Ghost Story, watch A Ghost Story. It's great. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, but in the meantime, catch us on social media. Catch us on at Stranger Cinema, strangercinema.gmail.com, or Stranger Cinema on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll be back. Goodbye. Yeah, share, share the show around. Tell your friends. Uh, make sure you write a view, review on iTunes, etc., etc., and all the stuff that you hear at the end of podcasts. Uh, if you follow up on any of these, that'd be really, really lovely. And we will be back in a week's time. Shut up and sit down.